Hello everyone and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? Back again, it's me Gaz and with my co-host Baz. How are you doing Baz? I'm alright, I'm here, it's me, I've just rushed in the door. Whew, haven't seen any Scottish people around here have you? No, we got rid of him. He was only down for a short time. Oh, thank goodness. And we've not got the, the usual surfeit of guests isn't around either. We've managed to uh, bother the doors to them for one. So thanks to all the guests that have been on this year. It's been a very busy one. We've got a lot of hashtag content out there. But it is nice for us to just both recline in our chairs and just have a chat with each other, isn't it? Well, it is, mate. I poured myself a nice glass of bourbon and, and I'm sitting back in this vast echoey hall because we haven't got anybody else in it. I see you've got your, <laughs> your traditional glass of water with you. I've got two. Treating yourself. Very festive. <laughs> That's what Corporation counts for festive pop. from where you are. <laughs> Splash down an extra glass of water. Things that weren't been rough, I know, but honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm saving up for my Christmas drinking. So quite right too, which I think starts uh, tomorrow. So this is what, is this the last podcast of the year for us? Do you think? Could we squeeze one in for the new year? For the smart posse, we might get another one in, but I think this might be the last one. Well, the other thing I was thinking <laughs> as well, uh, we've got we have got a, a sort of not drunken but uh, a merry conversation that we had while we were at Dragon Meat with uh, lots of disco tunes in the background from the bar. Oh, yeah. So, what I might do is stick that up um, at some point as a Christmas present for our loyal patrons and just do it as a patron's extra. Uh, whether it counts as punishment or extra, I'm not sure, but you'll get it anyway, and uh, treat that as our Christmas present to you. You don't have to listen if you don't want, frankly. Yeah, and that that would sound like a cocktail party going on in the background. It'd be like one of those live ITV shows, like, what is best in Christmas and gaming? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine some yeah. twinkly fairy lights in the background and some snow falling outside, and yeah, it'll be lovely. You'll be, you'll be around smart party towers and enjoying the bonhomie. <laughs> quality so um i think this episode then being the last one potentially this year should be a bit of a review about what's happened in 2018 or maybe some of the games or what we look forward to next year and so if i cast our aged minds back of what's been happening over the last 12 months uh there's been quite a a lot of stuff that's come out Mm. i think um and one of the things i've reflected on is that a lot of it seems to be old games that are new again and you know, Vampire Fifth Edition's out. Warhammer Fourth Edition's out. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff like even the Into the Autumn and Black Hack, which are the indie darlings or ISI darlings of a, a year or two ago. They're getting mm. second editions. Uh, they've got like Legend of the Five Rings has got an edition. Cult Pathfinder Two, Numenera Two. It seems to be like uh, I don't know. The cinema seems to have gone that way a little bit, and that everything's like a spin-off of a spin-off, or you know, Marvel's up to about twenty-nine movies now or something in the franchise. Are RPGs going the same way? Because it seems like we're getting a lot of new editions of stuff that we've had before. Yeah, we are. There's no doubt about that, is there? Um, and um, we have to decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I suppose, don't we? Because it's definitely a thing. Can't That's undeniable. Mm. Um, I think we were looking at the same list, weren't we? Because a uh, friend of the show, Morris, who looks after the stuff over at Ian World, um, that website does a top 10 anticipated RPGs of the year at about this time every year. So if you scroll back far enough, you'll find um, what was most anticipated about this year. And I, I think we looked at the same list. Out of those top 10 games, um, I think eight of them were reissues, reboots, or new editions. Eight out of mm. 10. Man alive. Yeah. That just seems like a lot. I suppose to be an anticipated RPG, you kind of already got to be a gamer. So maybe there's a built-in kind of a bias then towards stuff that you've seen before, um, if that makes any sense. But even so, yeah, maybe. even so, 
people have been very, very excited, and we've been among them as well, haven't we, this year, with releases like uh, Warhammer, 4th edition, RuneQuest mm-hmm. got, you know, there's a huge sort of swell of uh, goodwill towards RuneQuest coming back out. Stuff like the Call of Cthulhu starter set is about to drop, isn't it, right at the end of the year, if it hasn't dropped already. Yeah. So, um, it's, I can't. I, I don't think anyone could, could disagree. It is a thing. Is it a good thing or a bad thing, guys? What do you think it says about the hobby and the industry? Well, I've mentioned it before, but there's that kind of element of it. Of there's been a sudden boost in D and D over the last couple of years with the the streaming lark and so forth, and people have been playing D and D for might be five or ten years now. And mm. we have wondered and pondered with some of our guests actually if that means that those people that have been playing a lot on D and D are now branching out into other games as well. But I think equally weighty, if not more so, uh, certainly from listening to our friends at the Grognard Files and other podcasts such as that, is that it seems to be a lot of older people such as ourselves who went into the deep freeze have come back out as well. So guys who used to play when they were younger, then got married, had kids and real jobs and forgot all about gaming have suddenly come back, or not suddenly, but come back into the hobby as well. And I think there's a definite era of nostalgia and and looking back with fondness at older games. Uh, And there's a ready market for it because even with the RuneQuest, as you mentioned, there's 1313 Grantha, there's the RuneQuest uh, book itself, there's Hero Quest. But they reproduced the classic RuneQuest 2 real set, and that just like went gangbusters. It sold Mm. thousands of copies, and it was just a straight reprint of a book from, I don't know, the 90s, I want to say, maybe before. Mm. So there's definitely just a, a, well, there's a bigger audience as well, isn't there? I think as we've discussed that role playing is getting better and bigger all the time. So just having more people around gives you more people who've not played that game before, as well as the ones that used to play old games are now rediscovering them. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if they're getting read or played. Um, and if they're getting read more than they're getting played. I, I have a feeling that, uh, that, that some of these purchases don't actually hit a gaming table as much as probably the person buying it thinks that they're going to. Um, I'm speaking for myself, definitely. I I, I tend to, if I'm not careful, I'll buy stuff and not get to play it as much as I want to. And uh, and I'll I'll jump onto anything that's a little bit nostalgic or, you know, if if a game comes out that reminds me of something that I was doing in my youth and maybe my copy's a bit battered or maybe it went in some eBay purge years ago, I feel like, oh, this is a chance to reinvigorate that that campaign that I played 20, 30 years ago, which was great fun. Oh, I remember the times. I mean, Warhammer falls into that category massively. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we've had some some really nice games of Warhammer. It's one of my highlights of the year has been playing some Warhammer. And I don't suppose that would have happened if 4th Edition hadn't come along. Realistically, you know, Because yeah. we've, we've got all the other editions between us, haven't we? But I don't think there was any massive demand in our in our gaming group to go oh do you fancy getting that warhammer game out let's let's give that a go it just didn't happen did it it's almost like if it isn't being published it doesn't count as a role-playing game and that's a terrible thing to say out loud but (laughs) but but that does seem to have an element of truth to it that games have to be seen to be alive to get to get noise about them don't know yeah yeah there's well yeah there are individual groups, aren't there? So, like, um, there's a, an Amber convention where people play Amber Dice's role playing, mm. and that's been going every year for decades, probably now. And that's only ever had two books, and they're published yeah. within a year of each other. That's true. And there's been nothing since, but it still keeps going. So, I think there's an element of people will still play a game, but yeah, to get um, enough people playing a game so that you actually notice on the internet, I think it definitely needs to be a new edition. Mm. Or you need to be part of a specific group, like a traveller organisation or something like that, so that you, you will look for that kind of stuff. I think for the general 
uh, zeitgeist or whatever. It needs to be something that's current and updated. I mean, one of the other things as well is that not just the games themselves, but also the scenarios have been polished up. So, for example, Warhammer, I know they're redoing yeah. the Enemy Within campaign, but they're adding more content and smoothing some things out. And it's basically a chance for some of the people who wrote 20, 30 years ago to go back to the work and polish it up a bit, having got the benefit of wisdom of years and experience and just got better at writing and things generally, you know. Mm. So all these things have also been polished up a little bit. So it's not just like a straight going back and playing the game like you did in the 90s. Uh, some of these games have been just had a bit more modern sensibility about them or slightly better writing. Or the other thing that I found really good that's happened with RuneQuest, with Warhammer, uh, Vampire even, is they're all coming out now with quick starts as well and yes. free adventures in PDF. And they don't have to be in the book, but the the benefit of technology means that publishers can now produce extra content to help people actually play a game and provide it free or cheap online and quickly and give a lot of people access. Mm-hmm. And people who haven't even bought the book can look at that sort of thing and go, actually, you know what, I like the look of this, I will now purchase your product. So that's all good, that's all helping, I think. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. You're, you're right about adventures. I, I, I hadn't really spotted that, but there have been a few, haven't there, there where um, not only are the games getting rebooted, but the adventures are too, like Masks of Lyalethotep is out, revised, rebooted, renewed, however you want to describe it, I suppose. And that's like, you know, the granddaddy of uh, world-spanning epic campaigns. Um, and, uh, and it's back and, it, and it's bigger. And I wonder if it's a little bit like a, a few years back when Hollywood was doing nothing but sequels and franchises. Yeah. Did, did that do terrible things to movies? No, sometimes, yeah. But, but you know, but we also got stuff like Toy Story 2 out of it and The Incredibles 2. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we got to see some decent superhero films and that kind of stuff happened and, and in amongst all of that too we've got uh we, we definitely have some new blood we have things like uh spire uh which we've talked about or you've talked about yep. specifically with grant on the show um and there are still loads of little things that bubble up blades in the dark feels like it only came out a week ago but that's not true just because of the long tail that kickstarter <laughs> puts on things but that yeah. was a massive deal and that's uh, that that felt like a breath of, of fresh air in gaming um but maybe the fact that i can only immediately think of a couple off the top of my head says everything yeah i think it's kind of the 80 20 split isn't it you're saying you're looking at morris's list and eight of the games are were re- redos of old games and there's only two new ones and i think i don't know if it is 80 20 but it definitely feels like there's a more weight goes into older games or new versions or extra content for stuff that exists rather than it being new things necessarily yeah but that might be partly because we look at the more traditional side of things as well. Maybe. So a good friend of the show, uh, Epistle Richard, uh, he's put up on Axe the Table, his uh, his podcast site, uh, his seminar from Dragon Meat. We did one as well, but they always do one that's what's hot in uh, indie, um, start again, indie RPGs or something like that it's called. I think it's previously what I found interesting about it is it had been called Story Games. Yeah. And, and this year they've used the Indie Games Tag. And that might have just been a slip of the tongue or something like that when he, he put in his entry. But I find it cool that we can now talk about you know traditional and indie games without it necessarily having a pejorative mm. element to it. And we're just talking descriptively about the sort of games we're talking about. If yeah. it, you know, It's a handy shortcut rather than being a, a cause for tribalism or picking one side or the other or anything like that. But yeah, there's there's quite a lot of stuff in there that they all talked about. But then they're all quite small small games as well by a benefit of fact of being small press and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But they mentioned Blades in the Dark in there. And also, um, James Mullen, he mentioned 
uh, Spire as well, which I found quite interesting because James has probably got like the complete diametrically opposed view to me on what sort of games he likes to play. Mm. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely eschew anything that's uh, even vaguely D and D or anything like that, and wants to be much more in the free form and open space kind of area, generally speaking. But he he praised Spire as well as being particularly good this year. It's one of my standout games. Mm. Uh, and I think we both like Hot War and Cold City as well. But apart from that, I don't think our Venn diagram crosses no, at all. Not. Yeah. But it's interesting that you have got games like that that have come from that we're both suggesting, if you know what I mean. So both that panel and us as a more traditional end of things are both saying Spire is good, mm. which might lead to be that the, the new good games, if, if you can say such a thing, appeal to a broader ma- mass of people, maybe. If it's a new game, it has to be something that fits. Or has elements that all sides can come into or something or more people are likely to be interested in, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I think I always fall into this trap. I think we're probably doing it now by judging uh, judging a year in gaming by what publishers decided to put on the shelves. Um, <laughs> and given, given the way that role-playing games are played and enjoyed and written for and, and all the other things you can do with them, there's sometimes a strange way of looking at it because... D and D didn't get a new edition this year. Pathfinder didn't get one this year. Uh, did Traveller might have done? Traveller might have done actually. Traveller might have done. But that, but you know, I'm, I'm going way back in the in the days now for that kind of thing. Um, it does a game have to be released this year for it to have had a good year in gaming? <sighs> kind of maybe not. D and D's probably had its best year since the 70s or 80s. Probably I don't know. I don't have the the data, but it's probably had it. Um, yeah. But it's not, not actually, a bad year, is it? It's not had a bad year, and it's not put many hardback books on shelves, uh, which is interesting in itself. Uh, but it's certainly had a had a massive year, and, and the hobby as a whole has benefited from that. Um, oh, I tell you what, the sleeper hit of the year has been sleeper, as in I don't have it, therefore I can't imagine anyone else has. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Witcher, which is a property that I know next to nothing about apart from I know it's big enough in video games to get adverts on the telly which is still yeah. <laughs> boggles my mind anyway but <laughs> do, do you know about <laughs> The Witcher because this is Artel Saurian who I thought were long dead and I think they're like the biggest selling RPG yeah. of the year or something yeah it's um I think The Witcher is initially a set of books I'm going to say written in Polish or something like that which yeah. could all be lies People can check on the internet for me. But yeah, it's well uh, known in, in video game circles for being quite hard. Right. So a lot of people like it because it's like tough and you get, when you succeed at something or kill a beast, then you, you feel like you've been through the wars and you've earned it Yeah. kind of thing. Uh, and it's got its own, like I said, I think it comes from a set of novels. I'm pretty sure about that. I'm just not sure, sure where from because I've not read them. Uh, and so it's got lore attached to it and just a strong following from that point of view. So I think... Potentially, if that's doing really well as a game, it's because the properties that it sits on are really popular. Mm. Uh, I don't know anything about the game itself because I'm not really that bothered about The Witcher. I've not even played the video games, to be honest. So it's not something I'm going to leap to because I've got 37 other things on my list that I want to buy first. Mm. Um, But I'm wondering whether that's just a thing that uh, having the right license seems to bring something forward as well. So Morris, who had mentioned, is doing the the Worlds of 2000 AD, which seems to be really popular as well, for example. Um, I know that Modiphius are doing stuff like Star Trek, Conan, all you know, a raft of different games, all based on properties, including Fallout, another mm-hmm. video game, for want of a better phrase. So perhaps tabletop RPGs are just doing well because of all the geekery at the minute. I think 
one of the things around the the Swedish game, so the free league and stuff, I noticed their letters Kickstarter. You could um, this also, although they did the Kickstarter to the role playing book still, they've actually got like an XCOM style computer game out for mm. Year Zero, mm. and as part of the stretch goals for that or the the add ons for that, you can buy the role playing game. So even off the back of selling a video game, they're trying to flog you RPGs as well at the same yeah. time. Yeah. So maybe there's more tie in now than there used to be as well, and games that we wouldn't necessarily think of as getting an RPG previously, maybe it's like, I mean, I don't know, you get Fortnite Monopoly now, can't you? Because all the kids are into Fortnite, so they've just branded Monopoly with that. Yeah. And it's just one of those things now where if you've got a popular title, then you'll get an RPG out of it as well, maybe. That was probably always true. Uh, they weren't always, it wasn't always the hallmark of quality, though, was it, having a licensed game? No. Some of them were superb. Stuff like Buffy, I think, was highly regarded as a role-playing game. Uh, but then there was, uh, there was Aliens, from leading edge <laughs> games, I think I never played it, and I, I, there's not, no intention of doing so either. But um, I heard nothing but horrible things about that game. Uh, yes. I might be wrong. Um, and <laughs> our colleagues over at the Good Friends of Jackson Elias would would slay us if we didn't mention Dallas, of course, <laughs> 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 the role playing game from the early '80s of soap operas and dynasties. Oh dear, yeah. I mean, there was a time when everything uh, everything got an RPG attached to it because RPGs were seen as a bit of a craze weren't they in the 80s like the new hotness that's where we got but we got really good stuff out of it too we got Ghostbusters for example which was a cracking RPG Um, and the aforementioned Buffy amongst other things and of course right up to date we've still got the One Ring is still happening um, which is clearly licensed in some ways I always think of Call of Cthulhu as kind of a licensed property and and that's that's yeah, come back to, come back to undeath come back to life, I don't know. There's always been a massively strong element of licensed properties in gaming, isn't there? That has. Um, I think it just seems more prominent for me now, or maybe I don't know. Perhaps RPG companies have got more because of Kickstarter, mm. they can produce more now. Whereas yeah. before it was a bit of a gamble. You had to guess how many books you wanted to print to put in the distribution chain and hope they all sold and on top of that your normal cost you've also got to pay a license fee so that used to be a bit of a gamble yeah whereas these days if you want to produce whatever goggle box the role-playing game then you can stick it on kickstarter and see whether you get the money or not to you know so you don't lose out at least you'll cover your costs or not make it so that that's an element yeah modifius have always been a tart for a license haven't they i mean the nicest possible way they love a license they love a kung fu panda uh thunderbirds (laughs) John Carter, the uh, the yeah. RPG. Um, what, what's the license that hasn't been done, which would be a pretty good reflection of where where we're at at the moment? Oh, I'll have a little think about that. Well, might the one, in, yeah, the other one that I'm thinking might come out. Uh, it depends whether the actual computer game does or not. Cyberpunk 2077, which uh-huh. has been, I think, the, the initial teaser trailer for that came out in 2013, I think, <laughs> yeah. and it's now five years later, and it still hasn't turned up as a game. But I would not be surprised if uh, that comes out at some point. If yeah. once the computer game's out, that an RPG is like there within minutes, mm. or you know, very quickly afterwards, and not also to forget that. It's 2019 next year, but that means it's actually 2020 the year after. So Cyberpunk 2020 was a game. It'd be interesting to see if it comes out as a like an anniversary edition on the year of the, what the game was supposed to be set in. Yeah, if, if that year the game comes out again. Yeah, I, I, I kind of follow our tale story in again. Like I say, they kind of came back from the dead. And they've got a very entertaining Twitter feed, by the way. Check it out. It's nothing about games. It's 
<laughs> it's just it's just a really interesting oh, thing about Mike Pondsmith, the uh, the creator. But anyway, um, yeah. So Cyberpunk twenty twenty. That reminds me. Earlier, I was saying about um, Hollywood went for a stage of doing like uh, sequels or reboots. I think what we normally see in RPG land is reboots rather than sequels. But with some games like Cyberpunk, those games that move the timeline on a bit when they do take the opportunity to do a new edition. That feels a little bit like a sequel sometimes, and I'm just wondering if there was if there's a market in games for sequels to games. So you know, what would a sequel to Dungeons and Dragons look like? What would a sequel to Warhammer look like? Oh, a sequel to Warhammer might look like Age of Sigmar. Actually, that might be an yeah. easy one. Um, but I'm trying to think of game lines where there's like multiple places you could go and play the game, and and clearly they overlap system wise, but you've just got two different insertion points. Like the gaming version of, say, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. Um, games don't seem to do sequels. They just expand, don't they? Yeah, or I think it's like I say, updated versions of stuff. So another good game that's come out this year is Delta Green, where they've they've changed the rules mm. somewhat. Um, but notably, <clears throat> when it, I played it initially, it was in the 90s, and it was all very X-Files and conspiracy theories and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the world has moved on, so it's not just... Uh, the rules of fiddle, the setting itself that now reflects the world in which we live, and it's much more about the not so much the old war on terror, but the new one of the digital age. And yeah. like back then, it was like shadowy government conspiracies, whereas these days it was like the government's definitely bent. We just need to know in which way and how, and how do we subvert sure. that and that kind of stuff, and terrorism and you know counter information and false flags and all that kind of stuff. So the whole background shifted based on how the world shifted as well. So I think Delta Green, for example, counts as a sequel to the original because it plays yeah. in a whole different way now. And thinking about it, we, we spoke earlier this year to Jonathan Tweet, didn't we? And we talked about uh, Over the Edge, um, which was a big, successful Kickstarter. Unknown Armies we've talked about as well. And they feel like sequels. Um, yes. Because things have moved on in every single sense. Um, and you can still play the original games, and that's all cool and dandy, but, but things have advanced a bit more and the Hopefully it's not just all CGI to death and no one understands the plot anymore. <laughs> Lots of shaky camera angles and chop cuts so you can't yeah, tell what's yeah. going on in the fight sequences. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, over the edges of the good mention, actually. I must apologise to Mr. Mullen. There's three games in our Venn diagram. <laughs> <laughs> That's more than you and I have got. <laughs> and uh, yeah, people should go to Groundhog of Games as well because uh, James does produce loads of stuff all the time. Like, lots of free games he just gives away. So it's worth checking out. If you want new stuff, as we've been moaning everything's a sequel, head over there and check out some uh, easy-to-play games that he just churns out like a machine. Well, we never did get to the bottom of that, did we, as to whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. I think we've, we've firmly established it is a thing. It's definitely a thing. <laughs> it's definitely a thing. I think it's fine. I, I, I don't mind either way. I do always feel a little bit weird about myself, really, when I get a new game like Warhammer 4 as an example. It's like, well, why wasn't I playing Warhammer 3 last week? Because I could do. I could play it next week if I want to. It's still there. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's a bad example because people don't like that one. But there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing stopping you pulling out a game. And um, you know, uh, some of our some of our powers like to play games from back in the eighties and the nineties. And uh, and you know, they say, well, you know, if you want to play Phoenix Command or or whatever you want to do, if you want to play, perhaps a better example would be Savage Worlds because that's got the new version of that. It's pretty imminent, I think. Yeah, it's been kickstarted, so we're just waiting for it now. Cool. So that'll that'll put a great big surge of Savage Worlds players into into the popular uh, consciousness. Yeah. But uh, does, 
did it need that boost for people to play it? It kind of does, doesn't it? So from that sense, it's a good thing because it gets people playing games of any stripe. But I also feel a slight bit of sweet sadness that what was wrong with playing the game that was on the shelf and perfectly serviceable up till you heard there was a new one coming? <laughs> Nothing, and I played it and ran it loads. Yeah. But I think from a publisher point of view, that's like they needed some money or they wanted some money. Sure. You know, as a business, the way you get more money, and that's why Cthulhu has seven editions, because the first six were reprints of the first one, basically. But every time they produced a new Cthulhu, Cthulhu they got more money, and that's what kept Chaos in my life for a long time. They've changed the model now, and they're doing a lot better and more prolific. But I, I imagine for Pinnacle, although we think of them as one of the big boys, arguably, they've always been a bit slow at bringing stuff out. Mm. You know, you've had to wait a long time for things, and some things just haven't made it out because of the capacity. So maybe that you know this boost of rejigging the edition and trying again, mm. it'll, it'll get them the cash injection they need to produce more stuff. I think it'll just get people fired up generally as well, won't it? There'll be another raft now of uh, licensees and other people who just want to produce content for it because they'll get excited again because there's a new edition. Mm. Um, I think it. You know, with Warhammer and all the other games, you're saying, why don't we play them? I think the new edition coming out just makes you that bit more excited about it all. Yeah. Yeah. Because we could play, you know, I've got 20 games on my shelf, I won't mind playing, but I'm not like got a massive Jones for it until it gets rebooted. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I remember all about that now. And it goes straight to the top of the list. <laughs> yeah. Trouble is, some of the ones that are on my Jones list, and I do actually have a Jones list, it's got Jones list written at the top. <laughs> Some of them have been on there so long since the day they were released, they get a second edition before I get round to playing it. That's awful, isn't it? If you, yeah, if you, it is if you really weird. do want to scroll back, you can scroll back to our January 2018 podcast where I said I was going to be playing Transhuman Space this year. That did not happen, readers. I'm sorry. And you knew I can't it was going to happen there, but I'm laughing now. <laughs> That's a game I never got round to playing. And I think technology superseded it. I don't even think it's got drones in it. Goodness. <laughs> you can't text people. It'll be retro <laughs> by the time I play it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I think it's just to sort of reinforce my point. It's like the Swedish games. Like when Tales from Luke came out, I hammered it. I played it in like yeah. two different countries and many different places and played loads. And when I was at the Kraken last time, people were like, oh, have you not brought Tales from Luke? It's like, I'm, I don't want to say I'm sick of it. I've just brought like yeah. a lot. And I, yeah. like, there's a lot of games on my show. But things from the floods. I've backed, so that'll come out, and that'll be playing that sort of game again. It'll be slightly mm. different, and it'll be in the new edition. It'll look shiny, it'll be new pictures, and slightly different coloured dice. Uh, although they're still just D6s. But that'll get me excited to play it again. And I think sometimes people just want a bit of a pep up to have a go at a game, you know? Yeah. I'll tell you what, if it weren't for the Swedes, I wouldn't have got so many gaming products on my virtual shelves this year. The Swedes have been responsible for a lot of my gaming expenditure and reading time. Um, I'd yeah. like to turn that into playing time next year, getting ahead of ourselves slightly. But um, really late in the day, I picked up Forbidden Lands. And for some reason, I didn't really get in on the Kickstarter. We've spoken about Kickstarter before, haven't we? I just like to pick stuff up off a shelf, really, and shake it a little bit and exactly. yeah. buy it the old school way. So I've got Forbidden Lands. Bundle of Holding has just dropped, which is live. If you're listening to this like you know, in December, pre-Christmas, probably, you could probably still do this if you want. You can get Tales from the Loop and Coriolis for very little money um, and loads of the expansions too. I mean, they have not mucked about with getting stuff out to bundles of holding. Um, not at all. So I've only just picked up Tales from the Loop, um, very late to the party. Uh, but but yeah, the Swedes have delivered some brilliant stuff and I'm playing Mutant Year Zero in a couple of days. Uh, that's been on my list to run since, yeah, for a very long time. And um, 
if I think back to this year and the games that have got me excited, it's all coming out of Free Elegan. Mm. Um, which is odd. Well, maybe it's not odd. They do good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I think it was uh, a good friend, Guy, who uh, mentioned that he was in Stockholm and speaking to a guy there, and he was saying, like, there's a lot of Swedish games that shouldn't get translated. All right. So, so I think the Free League is the good stuff. But let's not all get uh, overexcited that every game out of Sweden is going to be a gem. I think it's the same as any other country that there's some good stuff and some mediocre stuff and some stuff that shouldn't have been written. Well, so, yeah, I'm not, um, not fond of Submarine, as, as discussed. It's, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know anything about Trudvang, which I think was like one of the most anticipated games of last year. Yeah, so, that's one of the disappointing ones from what I've heard. was it? Yeah, right. I've not looked into it further because enough people have said, don't bother for me to like understand that I shouldn't bother, certainly <laughs> for my yeah. tastes. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I'm saying Sweden, which is like really sort of closed-minded of me, really, because really I'm saying free illegal. That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's yeah, like, yeah. That's like saying I like American games, but only talking about Wizards of the Coast, which would be wrong. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> The Smart Party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show. We use Patreon, which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming. To show your support, just head over to patreon.com slash thesmartparty. You can donate a dollar, a credit, a copper piece, or a fiver per month. It all goes into the portable whole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new Smart Party content. Patreons get a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the Smart Party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers! So, the other thing that seems to be done quite well this year is uh, British OSR games still seem to be going quite well. Yeah, they you know, do, We've got the they? new editions of Black Hack and mm. uh, Into the Odd by Chris McDougall, as I mentioned before. Uh, our good friend as well, good friend of the show, Dan Sell, was at Dragon Meat. We bumped into him again. He's got not only Troika, but a bunch of other stuff on his on his little table. And one of the ones yeah. that's caught my eye is um, Mothership and Dead Planet, which is the yes. kind of adventure for it. Uh, and they're a bit like, you mentioned Aliens, the role-playing game. Mm. It's, it's like that done right. So right. it's that kind of, or alien possibly, but it's that kind of thing where you're in a, a spaceship and you've been dragged into somewhere weird and trying to work out how to get out of there and you're all just bods and there's like some evil thing in there or some other disaster that's awaiting you. And it models that really well. I think it's worth mentioning because it's one of those really tight, good examples of how to do OSR or self-published stuff in that uh, all the character generation, for example, is on the character sheet and it's like a little flow chart. So nice. you, you just make decisions and follow the arrows down to work out where to add pluses and colour dots in or make picks out of lists and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, the pages are crammed with good, useful stuff and interesting tables and there's a good fan community built up around it already that are doing, like, retro maps in a kind of that uh, green screen effect from old computers mm-hmm. back in the 80s kind of thing. So there's uh, there's all kinds of inventiveness and, and just cool ideas packed into a small space there. So... That kind of stuff's still alive and well, which is good, because people did wonder, with uh, Google Plus dying and lots of people leaving it, if the OSR community would die with it, or people were definitely <clears> worried about it. Yeah, well, the OSR community sometimes does a really good job of destroying itself. It's, it's a weird it does a little bit, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but what I'm glad to see is I still have so much affection for that small press stuff. Small press is perhaps a nice way to put it, isn't it? Um, that it's just really creative, really gameable, um, really useful uh, and I love it and some of it I find quite hard to get now I mean get physically 
not get mentally. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to get hold of a copy of Hot Springs Island. Are you aware of Hot Springs Island? I've heard of it. Yeah, it's um, it's a really interesting concept. It's got two books, and uh, one's uh, deliberately player facing, so it's full of like documents and artifacts that are kind of uh, designed to show you what the what the world is like from the player character's perspective. And the other one's like your traditional kind of GM's guide, and um, but it's made up of a real kind of toolkit that you roll up as you go. It doesn't take loads of prep, and it's it's just really fertile gaming ground. It's actually quite difficult to get for a reasonable sum of money because, bless them, I call them small press, but some of the small press stuff, and Dan Sell's work is another good example of this, is lavish in its production qualities. Mm. They're, they're like those beautiful little almanac books that you see in bookshops around Christmas, like, you know, for lists of the year and stuff, with little satin bookmarks in it. Um, they're lovely, lovely things to have. And, and they're so lovely that I kind of don't want to spoil it by just grabbing a PDF. Which is yes, super correct. convenient, but mm. oh, cool. there's some really beautiful little artifacts out there, and the OSR seem to be doing them far more than, say, the big publishers do. Which just you know still chucking out the um, the shoot annual 1987 sized books uh, <laughs> that are just hardback because they are, and they sit on your shelf and they're okay. Um, but I like those little square books. And the little hexagonal books and the ones with spiral <laughs> binding on them and strange little bits of leather hanging out the ends. Yeah, they're, they're cool. It's kill cool, interesting. They don't. They never look as good um, from a sale point of view. I think is part of the problem. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> for example, if you go to Furnace or Seven Hills, then there's always guys there from the local game shop that come along. Mm. Um, Jim normally turns up with a. a like buckets full of stuff, basically. But he also has quite a good selection of the India small press games as well. But they just, because they're all like weird and wonderful shapes and sizes and colours and stuff, they kind mm. of go along the front and you, you can easily miss them compared yeah. to the like loads of spine on hardbacks and glossy covers from all the main producers, for want of a better phrase, and all these big A4 yeah. books. And it gets lost. So that although they're all cool, you almost need a purveyor of just those sort of things to go in like a second-hand book shop or you know, a curio shop or something like that where you can go and kind of like root through them all and I just have a big collection. But I imagine yes. it's quite hard for a retailer to start because there's so many and the, the method distribution is normally from the guy's house, whoever's mm-hmm. written it. Mm-hmm. it. It must be hard to get a good collection of everything that's out there or, you know, a representative selection. Yeah, it's true. When we were down at Dragon Meat, I was looking at one of the big stands. I think it's probably Leisure Games, one of those sort of guys. And and most of their stuff just comes in big record crates, doesn't it? And you look through it like yeah. you used to look through vinyl records back in the day. And you just sort of do the little finger walking thing where you like pull the spines forward. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then occasionally you might pull a book out, a book up like you did with vinyl records and realise it's a simply red record and uh, have to put it back immediately before your friends see you looking at it. But the what your fingerprints stuff, are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the indie stuff was in a little crate at the far end and it just doesn't work for that kind of flickability stuff. So... Yeah, they have to be laid out like Dan Sell does it. His his stuff looks great. He'll hate us for saying this. He doesn't like selling things, um, but his, oh, yeah, his, his little books just look they, they just look like sweet shop. You just want to pick them up and and hand him a twenty pound note and put them in your bag. Yeah, um, and it's not just his stuff either. Lamentations of the Flame Princess, I think, has has kind of led the charge on that stuff. They've always got interesting things out there, um, and you know, deliberately provocative publishing model sometimes. Um, which you know, fair enough. You want to do that. You want to do that. Um, but they—they they you can't deny that that stuff just. Why would anybody pick up Xanathar's Guide to Everything? 
good good a book as I'm sure that is for D and D when you can pick up one of those things and just like read it and blow your gaming mind no matter how jaded you are. Yeah, I came back from I don't know whether it was Expo. It was one of the gaming conventions I went to, and I was. I had red glitter on stuff, and I couldn't work out what on earth it was. <laughs> and I think it was Red and Pleasant Land I picked up from Lamentations. And it stained it was, you. <laughs> it was either red or gold glitter, but yeah, I mean, there was a couple of days where I was like, what was I doing? I wasn't that drunk. I can't remember. Where like, I cannot possibly imagine where this has come from. Yeah. It's only when I picked up the book to read it again, I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, that again, like it's another little artifact. It's like someone's journal where they went travelling in Transylvania, turned yeah. into a little notebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, other stuff from this year that I wanted to mention, um, and it's kind of, I suppose this is like a, this is a topic I keep returning to, is the state of the gaming community. Because we've talked about the products, hmm. we've talked about the games that are released. Um, the gaming community as a whole, it's really difficult to get your heads around it these days. I think, <coughs> I think this year more than ever, uh, the gaming community in this country has got more and more atomized which is a very posh word I learned fairly recently. <laughs> it's broken mm. up into small bits as far as I can tell. Into atoms, yeah. Yes, into atoms. Um, G+, which has been a hotbed of gaming activity. I don't know if anyone ever used G+, for anything apart from gaming. <laughs> maybe no. they did. Maybe maybe people are into patchwork quilts who were all over it. I don't know. But it seemed to me to be entirely but made out of gamers. Um, that's folding, which seems to be a shame because that's going to have a, a kick on into Hangouts and stuff like that. The, the big forums... Some of them are still going, but they're, some of them seem to be on live support. And, and of course, UK Role Players, our old hangout, literally, that closed, I think, at the start of this year, something like yeah, that. Yeah, April was the final curtain. Yeah, it seems like a long time ago now. So, and, and little communities, on the plus side, on the really big plus side, little communities seem to be springing up all over the place. And and we found new friends of the show through other podcasts and the micro communities around the little games that that we've gotten into and publicised a bit. Um, and they they find their way to places like Grog Me and and to big places like Dragon Me. I think there's still a really big swell of gamers out there. But but is there is there a community feel? Can there ever be now that we don't have White Dwarf Magazine as the only thing to look at? <laughs> I think it's impossible to try and get everybody to the same reef. And why would you? Mm. Um, I would say uh, Discord's a big thing, for example. So if there's a specific game or style that you're into, for example, OSI, there are channels you go to, and they're just like chat groups, basically, or instant yeah. messaging groups. Uh, and they're rife with messages. I think on MeWe, which was like the, the main landing ground for refugees from G+, everybody just kind of jumped across to create an account to see what would happen. Yeah, uh, And it's kind of like tugging along and, you know, stuff happens occasionally but it's not really a I don't think it's been fully embraced or maybe in the wrong groups but then as I say I look at the D&D one for example uh, and I've had to mute it because it's like people want to shut up they're constantly talking all the time you know <laughs> the, the notifications immediately goes up to the 99 plus bit where he hasn't got enough digits yeah, yeah. in it because there's just general talk because it's that kind of game so I think there are a lot of communities for games or for styles I think what we possibly miss is the we want a generalist place to go where we can talk about all sorts. And there's mm. not perhaps that audience. I think audience are very much like, I want to talk about this thing I'm really interested in. And, and whereas the thing we're interested in is everything for a lot of the people. Yeah. It's like the game I'm playing right now or what game should I play and and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's uh, I find it a really difficult balance because 
I'm constantly bumping into people who bemoan the lack of a, a magazine, a traditional old-fashioned magazine that you might buy in WH Smith or something like that. Yeah. People are always talking about that. Um, and they just don't see a website as being the same thing. And, and I have some sympathy for that view. I kind of get it. Um, and, you know, our show, this very show that you're listening to now, I think we have a, we don't really have a magazine format, but we try to be generalist because we cover all kinds of topics and we rarely kind of zoom in on just one thing for an extended period of time. Kind of flit about all over the place, really. And we've got an audience and there's other there's other podcasts and stuff that do the same. And we have a little community around our podcast. Uh, you know, hello, Smart Posse. Love you. Uh, and, and other podcasts and and things have their micro communities too and obviously there's an overlap you know people listen to us they listen to other things they buy this they buy that but it is it still feels like a bit of a shame that there isn't somewhere that people congregate and maybe that is just a physical place to congregate now something like expo i guess in the states it would be something like gen con um where you would physically go to talk to people who are like-minded and that's like your glastonbury um, well, I think it is. I mean, it's a shame because be like, you teach your holidays and various other commitments. Like, you can't make it to as many conventions as I, I yeah. do. But, like, Expo definitely has a feeling like getting people together. It's a bit like Dragon Meat when we were down there a couple of weeks ago, mm. where, like, you just meet loads of people, but for five minutes each. Yeah. If it's a little bit like that, except because Expo's over, like, three or four days, you kind of have a repeat meetings with people or can spend an evening chatting to someone or. A, you know, you're constantly bumping into people that you know you've played a game with or something right. like that. So yeah. it, it, although a lot of it is still board game and, and that sort of basis and role-playing is kind of like a smaller element of it, there's enough gamers around that you know and bump into and maybe someone you haven't seen for years and that kind of stuff that it does feel like a get-together. Mm. And I think going to that and Dragon Meet and then other conventions in between perhaps gives me more of a feel that the community is still out there, whereas perhaps for yourself, he doesn't game apart from your local group or online you don't yeah. see that, so you don't feel it, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, I just wonder, imagine imagine a world where, um, well, imagine's a good word, imagine a world where White Dwarf came back, or something a lot like it. Okay? Yeah. And it was available in WH Smith, and there was like a, a magazine that came out every month, and you could drop a couple of quid on it, and walk home with it under your arm and feel very good about that. What on earth would it cover these days? Or more importantly, what wouldn't it cover? Because I, I, much as I kind of bemoan the fact that perhaps there isn't a central hub for people to go to, what what could you do? I think it would be really difficult to pitch that because you'd have to put D&D in it still, as White Dwarf did back in the day. But anything else you put in there is just going to be short service for anything, isn't it? Could, mm. could you cover you know, Judge Dredd? You probably could because it's new, but you couldn't keep a regular column going for Judge Dredd. Like White Dwarf did back in the day with the four or five games that were available. We just don't live in that world anymore. No. So you can't even you and I, who I think we like to treat we like to think of ourselves as well informed when it comes to gaming, it's impossible to put your arms around this hobby these days. There's too much of it. That's not a bad thing, but you do have to admit to yourself you can't cover everything, you can't own everything, and you certainly can't play everything. And that that kind of breaks up communities a little bit as well, because it's entirely possible to be a role player, but to have nothing in common with another role player. Whereas I think back in the day, if you were a role player, you all had things in common, even if it was just this, your your dice tin, or, <laughs> you know. But everybody at one stage or another had played Call of Cthulhu. But there'll be role players now who don't, and they probably don't even know what it is. Hobby's massive, so can there be a community that can still be on first name terms in that basis? 
Uh, no, you're right to an extent. It definitely was. Like, when there were only a handful of games, then that made things a lot easier. But, like, it's the accessibility of people as well. So back in mm. the day, when you get an article written by someone who was the author of a game or the designer of a game or something, that felt like a special thing. Whereas these days, you can go, you can follow them on Twitter or you mm. can ask them directly and just say, what does this rule mean? Or what did you think about this? And get answers. Sure. So the, the old magazines of old, where they were your window into speaking to people like that, you know, who, who created mm. your games for you or people you looked up to and you never actually met them. Uh, and I think now it's just so much more accessible that some of them are like never off Twitter. Like, you, you know, can't go an hour without them tweeting something about their game or their That's opinion. True. So you, you now got access to all this information and all the right people. So what what on earth would you put in the magazine to kind of to get get any interest that people aren't just getting constantly twenty four seven anyway through Twitter, Facebook, you know, blogs, official sites, all kinds of stuff. You know, streaming games. I think yeah. it's, it'd be tough to to think of something for a magazine that, that no, people just don't right. get anyway. You know. You're right, and that, and that is the positive side. And I want you know community to be a positive thing for this year because I think it is. I think um, we, we've had a few wobbles with the community in the UK over the last year or so, but generally speaking, the community is just doing fine. Um, and it's we're kind of like a, a family. Might bicker sometimes, but it's nice to get together every high day and holiday and you know raise a glass, isn't it? And come together in in you know events like when Greg Stafford passed. It was lovely to see the community coming together for something like that. Yes. And then you know with your with your designers and those people who used to be just appear to be a bit distant. You know when we were growing up in the suburbs of the UK, mate, we were never going to get a chance to speak to people like Jonathan Tweet, but we've managed <laughs> it this year because all yeah. of those designers and those those names that we followed as as lads. They're really accessible and super nice guys in every single respect. When I look back down the list of the people we've spoken to on this show in the last year alone, in fact, in the last six months alone, I'm astonished that these people have given up their time, and in some cases, more than once. <laughs> Just to, <laughs> and to be so generous with their time as well and talk about games for which, you know, they earn no money these days, but we're still happy to talk about, like, you know, strange little mechanics they invented in the 90s that only you and I are interested in. So it's been lovely. And, and you know, our mates have said to us, like, how did you get them on the show? And the secret is we just asked, and they said, yeah. <laughs> Stop spoiling the magic. <laughs> it's magical to me that we can ask them, and they go, yeah, when are you available? That's incredible. Well, I think that's your community when you were saying, where is it? It's that kind yeah, of thing. it's right? everywhere. Yeah, like people just generally are all right. I think you're right. Um, I wonder where you were going to go with it when you mentioned the sort of the state of the community and stuff like that. Because I don't know why. The scenes over the last few years definitely like there's a flare of acrimony. And I think that might just be mm. the internet allowing people who probably wouldn't mix to mix with each other. And then some smaller elements of that decide to be vociferous about their displeasure about another group of people which normally they wouldn't even spoken to them and they just carry on their own anyway so perhaps that is just a symptom of the larger internet as happens anyway but yeah community is all out there and I think it's just a matter of getting involved in individual groups for the thing you are doing at the time mm. so I've stopped looking at the Warhammer fancy roleplay Facebook group for example or turn the notifications right. off because it got a bit incessant but for a few weeks when I just got the pre-order copy and we were always wanted like people just wanted to chat about when they were going to run a game and what they were going to do with it and what we characters mm. looked like and it was good. And while I was like I had a big Jones for running Warhammer before I'd done it, it was like uh, that got me really fired up. Um, I like due to the nature of how we play, I'm not going to have like a Warhammer campaign that plays every week for the next two years. So I'm probably only going to dip into that community as and when I feel like it now. But 
whatever game I pick next, there's probably another community I can find and jump into that and start chatting to people, asking questions. Mm. So the communities are out there. They just need to, you, they're just isolated in pockets of interest. And like you say, because the hobby's so big, you've had to like break that down into what should we talk about? That would be Vampire, Warhammer, yeah. OSR Gaming, Freeforms, whatever it might be. You, you, you just can't talk about everything all the time. So you have to kind of, much like uh, when you all go out on a, I don't know, a stag do or something else, you end up in little groups of three or four chatting about mm-hmm. something and occasionally switch around between groups to chat to someone different for a little bit. But it's, it's very rarely like everyone's all stood there chatting to each other as like one big group. Yeah, it's true that. Yeah, and, and people are, are really approachable, generally speaking. I've, my advice is avoid the internet and go and speak to people in real life. In real yeah. life, people are lovely, including us. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, given the nature of Twitter, you, you have to come across as a bit terse. You can't help it, but it doesn't even have space for adverbs sometimes, does it? So, you know, people, generally speaking, are much nicer in real life than they can appear uh, on the internet. And... Um, and an opinion sort of softly spoken over a pint is often a lot easier to swallow than an opinion just stated in bare text on your phone when you're feeling a bit grumpy and sleepy. So, yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah. that's another positive is the um, like those connections that we've made as well. And in our little way, our podcast has helped the world. So, in that little way, yeah. So like Arjun, um, I'll probably pronounce his name wrong again. He told me off a drug. I mean, if I did it wrong last time, but uh, a Dutch guy, he listened to the podcast and decided to go to the Kraken. So I met someone from Holland in Germany to play pretend elf games, which was cool. And there's another mm. guy from Sweden there. And there's, there's stuff like that. And, and people have found conventions or places to go through listening to our podcast. And it's not just us. It's all the other podcasts that you mentioned already. Like, yeah, you know, the Grog Now Files has Grog Meat, which is a great thing. And everybody should go to. Uh, and the good friends of Jackson Elias have their little community and, and everybody else does as well. So I think it's been a good year for us in terms of not just hashtag content, but making connections with people and, and pressing the flash a little bit at conventions or meeting up with them in other ways or just chatting online or playing an online game and stuff like that. So mm. I, I think there's still there's still positives in community building happening. You just can't do everything, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to pick and choose, haven't you? And, um, yeah, and and then sometimes life does that to us. When you get to a certain age, you can't have everything, and and we're on budgets, aren't we, mate? We're yeah. on budgets either for cash, time, or both. And I kind of think back to the days when I had loads of time and no money, and now I've got it's the other way round to an extent. Yeah, oh, it's never a happy medium, is it? I haven't <laughs> played enough games this year. That's that's a regret for twenty eighteen. Is I haven't played enough games. I've spent a lot more time talking about games than I have playing them. And that's fine as far as it goes, because I like talking about games, clearly. Um, but it would be nice to have some fresh ammunition to talk about for next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've got quite a bit of gaming in, but it's the same old story that I've had to run a hell of a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'd be nice to have more options to go and play stuff, I think. Uh, but still, it seems a little bit like I feel like I've got to run a lot of the time to get some gaming in. You're still GMing, yeah? Yeah, which which is fine, but it does feel a little bit like I'm putting more effort in to get the fun I want than perhaps the averages, let's put it that okay. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know what I'd do to change that, really. <laughs> Although, <laughs> I, re- I restart my Masters in January, so I probably won't have any time to do anything, so that'll solve that problem. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, t- do you know what? Actually, it's been the other way around for me this year because I spent decades being the GM. And uh, and same as we all are, really. Come on, admit it. You're a GM if you're listening to this. And you're the one who buys the game on the basis that if you don't know one will. And I bet you host it around your house too, don't you? And you buy the biscuits. 
and you have to get onto a WhatsApp group and try and corral everyone together. Yeah. Well, God bless you for a start. So God <laughs> yeah, bless absolutely. everyone who's listening to this. Yeah, <laughs> we we feel your pain. This year, I managed to sort of step back from GM in a bit because I was doing a whole career change thing and the rest of it. And I was honest with my mates and said, I can't run as many games as I used to. Is there any chance you you buggers might step up and run something? And to be fair, they have done as well. Um, and you've run a couple of games for me, mate, because I suckered you into doing some stuff too. Um, and I've been a player this year more than I've been a GM, which is really unusual. Really unusual. And it's um, it's awesome to do that, by the way, because I, I learn so much about GMing from when I play, and I learn so much about playing from when I GM. Yes. And and putting yourself into rotation is a really good thing to do, I think. Um, and then rotating the sort of things you do as well, like uh, GMing some games that are very low prep feels like being a player in your own game. Mm. That That's an interesting feeling, which, you know, running stuff like Blades in the Dark kind of sharpens up your skills in that area a little bit um and then playing in games where you've got to kind of invest a little bit of time into coming up with your character and understanding the background and stuff that's quite good to sort of show you show you what how much you put onto your players sometimes by going let's get involved in this game here's a 300 page document you'll need to get yourself lined up with before we can start playing (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i've done a lot of playing this year um and and various games too. Can you can you think back, mate, to this year and think about some of your highlights of of play and including GMing in that? I, I guess we have to, don't we? What's what's been your fave sesh this year? Do you think? Mm, it's tough to nail one. I mean, I really enjoyed Warhammer. That's been my last mm. sort of like three months or something. I've pretty much hammered that. Yeah, so that was good. At the start of the year, it was more Tales from the Loop, which yes. I, I played quite a lot of. Uh, Blades we played quite a bit of, and I've, I've done that separately. Um, like Pendragon, I've kind of like had a little bit of devil with, but I've eased off that. Savage Worlds, I'm waiting for the new rules to come out. Right. Uh, I've just picked up Vampire, so I might have a go at that. I mean, I can't pick one session that was my favourite as such, but there've been quite lots of quite good ones. I guess is the thing. <laughs> yeah. But I, I guess the sort of the theme I'm trying to impress there is while I've unfortunately not got a current gaming group at home, uh, and so a lot of it's convention gaming, is I've managed to run the same game for a number of sessions, for a number of slots, or a number okay, of places, yeah. if you know what I mean. So I've had good runs of things rather than just playing things once and then dropping them. I've sort of managed to re- either make new scenarios or rerun some old ones for different people and that kind of thing. So, yeah, you, you know, for both Tales of Loot, Blades of the Dark, Warhammer specifically, like I've had good runs of each of those and got an amount of play out of it, whereas I felt, but probably the previous year, I was putting a lot of effort into learning games and then playing our session maybe or two and then leaving sure. it and then did nothing more with it. So it's meant less of a broad spread in what I've managed to play probably to a degree. Mm-hmm. But I've got more value out of the things I've actually put some effort into, which I don't know whether one's better than the other, but it, it, you know, it was good to get more value out of a book than just play it once and drop it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's something that that's harder to get, isn't it? Is that campaign experience? I find that harder to schedule than ever before. Um, yeah, and uh, that circles back round to what we talked about before. There's so much good stuff coming out. Um, you know, we 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 hit a spot with my weekly group this week of going, "Oh, what should we play this week? We can actually all get together. What should we do?" And immediately people started firing off, you know, new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always wanted to do this. I, I fancy having a go at that. And uh, what do you think of this little list of ideas? And none of them were picking up the games that we'd started and not finished in the previous year. So, you know, it's, crazy, it's a lot it? easier to start things than it is to finish. That Ain't that the truth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I've had to limit myself on reading as well because I'm I'm currently uh, playing through the vampire book. But like right. yourself, I, res- I resisted that at, at um, Dragon Meat, and then within a week, ordered it online. <laughs> and, and exactly the same for Forbidden Lands as you were buying it at Dragon Meat. I was like, I really yeah. don't need that, and I bought that as well. Now. So, yeah. <laughs> but I'm resisting reading that because I know if I start, it'll go on the pile with all the other stuff by my bed. Yes, that's about yeah, yeah. three feet high now of books that I started reading, and then thought I'll just check this other one first, and never went back to. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's hard to, to to give something its proper deserved attention, probably without getting attracted by the new shiny. Yeah, it is, mate. It is. It is. I've played some good games this year. Um, notably, notably, I played a couple of games set in Glorantha this year, yes. which was on the to-do list since 1980. So that's been a slow burn, hasn't it? <laughs> so, I played uh, uh, Dirt the Dice ran us uh, RuneQuest. Yeah. Um, the the new old RuneQuest, I guess you could call it. Um, that was loads of fun. We played that. Um, very recently, um, Guy ran 13th Age in Glorantha for us. Yeah. That was an interesting session. Enjoyed that too. So that's two games in Glorantha in 2018. So it's taken me like you know the best part of 40 years to get around to it. Enjoy both of them. Feel no need to go back. Thanks very much. I've, I've dabbled. Enjoyed yeah. it. And I'm glad it's happened. Um, so that's really good. So waited a long time to try out a whole new world, but I'm pleased to have done so. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I don't know. I think for me, it's it's probably like enjoy going back to the Warhammer world. <laughs> hmm. it, it was revisiting an old world again with new eyes. I mean, I did try some other stuff. Like we we do talk about Earth Dawn, and I ran yeah. that out at a convention. And like you know, we all had a good session because the people around the table were you know up for it generally. Mm-hmm. But afterwards, myself included, we all sort of said like. That was quite hard work, wasn't it? And it's just, you know, <laughs> the, the system just like does show it. It's one of those games that I think it's currently undergoing another reboot. It's been through a lot. Mm. Uh, I don't think it necessarily changes enough in between any, or frequently enough anyway, or uh, with enough gusto to make it work, possibly. But uh, yeah, I, I, there's a little bit of going back to old games and, and people sort of like, you know, crunching up the face a little bit. And we all enjoyed the sessions, like a Guy Runner. Twilight 2000 game for us at Grog Meet and stuff and that wow. we, we enjoyed the session but afterwards it was like yeah I don't feel the need to run that game ever again yeah, so, 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 yeah. yeah that's done <laughs> so, so the good thing about all these reboots and new editions and all the rest of it I think to go full circle is that uh, they're breathing new life into old things that, that seem good in nostalgia but when you actually play and you think yeah there were some problems with this <laughs> there's, right. some, there's some barriers to being enjo- you know we, we can have fun but it's it's in spite of the system rather than because of it. So it's, yeah. it's good to get that new cut of paint on stuff and make it a bit more interesting. Yeah, it is, mate. I mean, it's 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 going back a little bit. I think year before this, so last year, I think it's how people normally refer to that. Um, last year, I ran a, a basic D and D game with with the red books that that I had in nineteen eighty one, whatever it was. Uh, ran a scenario out of White Dwarf as well. Um, and as much as it was fun, it came down to the people around the table. It certainly wasn't the system supporting us, and it did. Yeah. It, it was really creaky. And uh, you know, you can't uninvent the last thirty years of role playing technology. <laughs> there, there is not. I'm sorry. There's nothing fun about going into an adventure with one sleep spell and a dagger and two hit points. <laughs> you know, it? it looks all right on paper. It does, but oh, it's it's fun if you're the DM, maybe. But no, it, it couldn't sustain it. Um, but 
um, I'd love to take you know those scenarios and just put a bit of modern tech on them, and they're, they're still really good. And they were great then, but they you know they they don't always hold up so well. Nostalgia's ace. I love a bit of nostalgia, but I usually want to use a modern rule set to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. So there's some there's some new stuff coming out next year. A bunch of there it. is. We've, we've touched Again. on quite a few of those things. Uh, one of the ones that I'm interested in is Shadow of the Beanstalk, which is the uh, Android Netrunner universe from FFG, and they're going to be using their Genesis system, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be interesting, because we've done a couple of episodes on cyberpunky type stuff. Um, so it, I'm curious to see what comes out of that. Um, it'll mean buying some funny-shaped dice, I think, for me, again. But that's all right. Uh, that's interesting. Deadlands Dark Ages is on the books for next year. Mm-hmm. Which could be good. I'm, I'm definitely curious to see what happens with Savage Worlds and what the new rules actually mean when they hit the table. Uh, yeah, I was I was quite confused by their announcement. Like we've, we've taken all the feedback, and we've had to change loads of stuff, and to make it even <laughs> better. I was like, I've been yeah. running it for 15 years. It's been great. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> so yeah. we'll, we'll see whether they've fixed any inverted commas or just changed it for a different group, maybe or a different dynamic. Hmm. Uh, oh, what else have I got? John Hodgson formerly of Cubicle 7, starting handiwork games, and he's going to be banging stuff out for 5th edition. So I think cool. Ken Hart's going to be joining in with Hellenistica, if I pronounced that correctly. There's a Beowulf for 5e coming out from their stable as well. Wow. So all kinds of interesting stuff there as well. Uh, and then we've mentioned, you know, Over the Edge and all the other things as well they get in the 2nd edition. So <laughs> I can't see it getting any easier for me to pick a game and run it for a long time. But... No, no. And that some of that stuff it, it drops, and you think, hasn't that been out for ages? But it hasn't been out for ages, has it? No. It's, it's just like your interest was really peaked when you kickstarted it, and you probably had the PDF as a backer. Yeah. But it actually hasn't hit, hasn't hit properly. I've got in front of me the um, the nominees for the ten most anticipated tabletop RPGs of 2019. Oh yeah, from friend of the show, Morris. Yeah. So you've mentioned some of these. I'll go for it really quickly. In at in at ten, Judge Dread. Which yep. is one of those, a perfect example of one of those games I thought, isn't it out yet? It must be out. <laughs> have we not done that and moved on? But we haven't, and, and that will land. And that might actually, it's, it's designed, isn't it, to kick off a whole bunch of stuff, which I think people will be excited about. Yeah, Strontium Dog and all that kind of stuff, yeah. As, yeah, well, basically Strontium Dog. After that, you should probably leave it alone. But yeah, Strontium Dog. Um, things from the Flood. So just as I yep. get Tales from the Loop, Finally, and and you got you know you moved on like um, you know you were like that bloke who was the first person to get into Frankie Goes to Hollywood back in the eighties and the first person to think they were shit. (laughs) (laughs) So just as I get into Tales from the Loop, Things from the Flood is on the way. You know about this, don't you? You're looking forward to it, I think. Yeah, I backed it. Yeah, fine. Okay, so that's the that's a sequel. That's a proper sequel, isn't it? So that's like the 1990s compared to the 1980s. Yeah. And you're you're like proper teenagers instead of kids. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Uh, and death's back on the table. So one of the, the conceits of uh, the original game was that you're kids and you can't die and it's solving mysteries. Right. It's a bit stand by me. And this has moved it on into moody teenagers, but with a bit of an edge. Uh, mm-hmm. And crept it, I suppose, because of Simon Stalinhag's art, it's, it's a bit more creepy and horror movie a little bit. Or that's yeah. it feels more Stranger Things than Tales from the Loop did in that it's of that kind of ilk rather than a science fictiony one, which I think the original game was. Right, that would be cool because it's Swedish, and as we know, all Swedes make great Good games. games. <laughs> yeah. um, in with a rocket to number eight, Changeling: The Lost Second Edition. Oh, 
don't Moving understand. on. <laughs> Werewolf's <laughs> coming out as well next year. Werewolf the Apocalypse Fifth Edition. Yeah. Oh, dear. I mean, you, you've mentioned Vampire a couple of times. Um, I got lost on the editions with that some time ago. Uh, how are these? How is that the second edition of Changeling? I'm sure there's been 15 at this point, hasn't there? Yeah, that's weird. Unless in all the reboots, they've never got as far as Changeling when they were going through all the different versions of it. Right. And then they stopped Probably. again before it got restarted from Vampire. I'm sure there have been okay. other editions of it, though, so I'm not sure that's second. That's oh, Apparently it's from the Chronicles of Darkness, because you've got your World of Darkness, uh, you've got your Chronicles of Darkness, and then you've got your like Cupboard of Darkness or something. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Right, moving on. John Carter of Mars. Now, oh yeah, we alluded to this, didn't we? Because this is like Modiphius will license anything. They're probably doing Danger Mouse D20 as we speak. That'd be great. I, do you know what? I'd play that. I don't know why I didn't <laughs> made, made a joke out of that. I'd play that. <laughs> Okay, crumbs DM. Uh, okay, John Carter of Mars. Fine, Dune. Now we okay. are grey in the tooth enough, aren't we, and long in the hair enough uh, to remember Dune having had a few stabs at being an RPG, right? So yeah, this was... is Modiphius again, and Dune <laughs> is coming. Of course, it's Modiphius. It's a license. Why wouldn't it be? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember being at Gen Con with Boy Ban Simon and some other of us, and I think it was the last Unicorn Games, was it? He did the good yes. version of it, and yeah. they had a bunch of softbacks. They were trying to flog. Simon bought one, and he was trying to sell it to me. And the guy was saying, "Yeah, the hardback will be out in a couple of weeks." I was like, "Well, I'm not buying the softback then, am I?" He was like, "Yeah, but you know, you should buy it because of reasons." I was like, well, "You just literally told me the better version's coming out with more pages, and it'll be better and cooler and all the rest of it." So I held off, and then they went bust. <laughs> <laughs> Or they because got taken over by wizards and they didn't produce anything. So I don't yep. have it and Simon does, so we got the last laugh on that one. But yeah, it, like June's one of those settings that people always want to play in. But mm. because of the interesting background, it'd be, I'm, I'm curious again to see what you actually did as players. Uh, it's one of those, isn't it? Yeah, are you all yeah, based on Arrakis or is it this world-spanning politics game or does yeah. it try to be everything to all people? Well, that last Unicorn game came out in 2000. So it it is now old enough to go out for a drink on its own. <laughs> right. Um, in at five, Eclipse Phase, second edition, which is a perfect example of game that's been on my to-run list long enough for an edition to expire. Because I haven't got round to running Eclipse Phase. No. I haven't got down to reading it all yet. I bounced off the system a couple of times, but I was really intrigued by the setting. Um, and it's transhuman. And as you know, 2018 has been my year of playing transhuman <laughs> games. <laughs> you should maybe be more modest next year and just try and play one of them rather than all of them. Yeah, or just play any game. <laughs> uh, so that's coming back. Um, yeah, it's eagerly anticipated, mate. I, I think Eclipse Phase has got a lot going for it. I really like the idea of it. Really do. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not really a fan of the um, porting your, your mind into different bodies and it's still you kind of thing. I just don't buy that concept. Okay. So I struggle with altered carbon and stuff like that as well because I just don't I fundamentally don't think it works <laughs> right. as a thing. Okay. But I know a lot of people are more like, like the idea of being able to like transport themselves around at the speed of light and put themselves in a different body and do something cool on a different yeah. planet in no time at all. So if you're into mm-hmm. that kind of thing, I guess it's all good. That's feature bug territory, isn't it? I think, it is, if, I think. For some people, it'd be, yeah, definitely I want to do that because of that. Uh, number four is The Expanse from Green Ronin. Um, and that's they'll use their same system they've used for Fantasy Age and Dragon Age and stuff like that. The Expanse based off the the great big fat books that briefly got made into TV stuff, which I've enjoyed. Yeah. So I don't think I need to buy the role-playing game, but it's hotly anticipated. What do you think? 
Yeah, um, I, I I think it's uh, feature bug territory again. I'm like I didn't mind the expanse as in the TV series. Yeah. Sort of, you know, it, it was cool and everything. But uh, having not read the novels, to me, it felt like a game of travel or something. Or you know, yes. you, I could. I don't feel the need to particularly pick up an expanse specific game. But mm-hmm. if you're into that kind of thing, it might well be cool. Well, it's. I think fans of that kind of stuff will say it's a bit sort of a. And I run the risk here of people shouting at me, but it's like your realistic sci-fi. So there's yeah, no fast yeah, yeah. light stuff and anti-gravity and all that. And people have got such a Jones for realistic sci-fi. Um, I've always struggled with realistic sci-fi because I find it hard to play in that system because it's really dangerous and slow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think so, uh, it's going to suffer immediate comparisons, isn't it? As soon as it comes out, people will be saying, can I do this in Traveller? Or can I do right. this in, you know... Why well, wouldn't I just use a fake game or whatever else? Mm. So I think all those sort of games immediately come up to what have you done with your new game specifically for this license that makes it expanse like? Yeah. yeah. So there wants to be something in that book that makes it feel like you're playing the expanse rather than just a generic sci fi game. Agreed. Well, before we get into the top three, uh, there's, there's a trend. I've spotted a trend. Let's see if you can spot it too. I'll just mention some of these games again Judge Dread. Or 2000 AD, John Carter of Mars, Dune, Eclipse Phase, and The Expanse. Is 2019 the year of sci fi? Well, I hope so. We talked to Blades earlier, and Scum and Villainy's just landed uh, fairly True. recently, so that's another one to go on the list. Yeah, it is. Vampire's yeah. not sci fi, but it is modern. I'm, I'm wondering whether we have reached that crest of the wave where everybody's played a whole load of fantasy and watched it stream lads, and they're looking mm. for something that's not fantasy to play as yep. a, by way of a change. Not because there's anything yes. wrong with fantasy or anything, just because you get so much of one thing after a while, you just fancy a bit of a change. Yeah, because um, we've, we've spoken loads of times in the past about how sci-fi is sometimes difficult to get off the ground as a campaign game. Yeah. Um, but well, we keep having a run at it, don't we? And there's plenty of options there now. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Starfinder was was kind of a thing that didn't really cross our radar too much on a personal level last year. I think Starfinder's been a big hit. Um, yeah. I've, I find it appealing, um, but I've, I've yet to play a game of it. I'd like to play a game of Starfinder. If anyone wants to run a game of Starfinder for me, give that a go, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I think it's, my own requests. it's one of those games... I don't know whether they anticipated it being as big as Pathfinder or something like that. Um but it feels like all the science fiction games, that if I go to the friendly local gamer store and say there's six games running, there'll yeah. kind of be at least three of D&D, probably four. There'll be yeah. another game, possibly like Gamma World or Call of Cthulhu or something like that, and there might be a Starfinder game. But it'll be well, that kind of order of magnitude in terms of like, yeah. there'll be somebody playing it, but it's not like half the store is playing or anything like that. Cool. So into the top three. And in at number three is a game that just passed me by. Maybe it didn't pass you by. Lex Arcana. Romans, mythology, monsters and more clash in this RPG set in the 5th century AD. So alternative timeline where Rome never fell. Yeah. Wow. I think, uh, I'm in danger of embarrassing myself again, but I think it's an Italian game, or was originally. You uh, are correct. It's 25 years old, published in Italy and brought to the English market via Kickstarter. Yeah, so um, again, it's one of them. I think you've got to be into your Roman stuff to a degree. So mm-hmm. I've run, for example, Cathedral Invictus a few times uh, to get to scratch that itch a little bit. Um, another good friend of the show, Andrew Kenrick, did a kind of Roman hack of his Dead of Night horror game, but 
mm. with Roman Legionnaires. Um, another good friend of the show, Paul Michener, who's recently done Liminal, which we probably should mention as a release for this year. Uh, he's done some stuff, uh, I think, with Art Dream and some others, and you know he he likes to scratch that itch. So mm. uh, I didn't back it. I saw it. I thought, oh, Romans and weird stuff, cool, uh, but. It wasn't the sort of thing I thought I can sell this to a group of players and play a lot of it. Mm. It feels one shot territory for me, but I've not actually seen the system or played a game to to tell for sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. No, never heard of that one. Um, okay. Number two, Pathfinder Second Edition. So, Paizo or Paizo, sorry, I guess eventually had to do something mm. um, because they they had like their Imperial phase where. D&D 4th edition wasn't doing the things that Watsy wanted it to do and Pathfinder were making money hand over fist and could do no wrong but then 5th edition kind of made them probably swallow hard and think about what to do next and Pathfinder 2nd edition is it and it's coming. I'm guessing you don't play Pathfinder, guys. No, could give them monkeys. <laughs> uh, I am well, interested. A few people who doesn't. <laughs> a lot of people give them monkeys about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And more there's polite a lot of monkeys. Uh, I think at Dragon there's a Pathfinder ring. Well, like a lot of people yeah. playing it, you know, it's not it's not unpopular exactly. by, by any stretch. I am interested to see if they manage to do anywhere near as much going from Pathfinder to Pathfinder Two as D and D going from fourth to fifth, which I'd imagine says no. But as we've talked about, if you revamp something, it gets a lot of interest mm. again, and people start playing. So I will watch uh, to see what happens there. Tricky balance for the game that was built for people who didn't want fourth to happen. I don't like change. <laughs> so, yeah. So I want to keep playing third. Here's Pathfinder, which, you know, it did that brilliantly for those guys. Have they built up enough of a base now to be able to bring them forward gently into a, a new dawn? Um, I suspect it's still going to have armor class and hit points at the end of the day. So, sure. really. Right, number one. Uh, right, this this is small press, mate. You won't have heard of this. This is Obscuro Land. But there's a little thing called Savage Worlds Adventure Edition, which is the <laughs> most anticipated tabletop RPG of 2019, after apparently a half-million-dollar Kickstarter. Mm. Do you know this game is 15 years old? Um, but what I find exciting about this is, is, first of all, it's 15 years old, and we played it the day it came out, I think, didn't we? Yeah. If not before. Well, we, we had And it's also... To. It's beaten Pathfinder to the top of the most anticipated list. Yeah. On a website which, frankly, is pretty much D&D centric. I'm yeah. sure Morris won't mind me saying that. That sounds like a big deal. Yeah. Well, you know, early on when you asked me why on earth are they producing a new one? Because, like, there's nothing more yeah. the one. Half a million dollars, Bass. That's... That, that helps. There's half a million reasons. <laughs> Come on, Patreons. We love you, but we haven't got half a million dollars in the bank yet. No, we need that to go to Gen Con next year or the year after. Probably. We say yeah, we're not, yeah. but. <laughs> we needed to buy these deluxe slipcase books that we want to get. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, Savage Worlds has always been big, uh, like never D and D big, because D and D is just like a, in a different class than all the other role playing mm. games that are out there, as we've discussed many times previously. But you know, Savage is, is just like if you look at the Flash Gordon thing, for example. So although we've we've like you know tongue in cheek poked a little bit of fun at Modiphius for all their licenses and stuff like that, the Flash Gordon <laughs> yeah. license for for Savage Worlds that made huge amounts of money as well, and people are all over it like a rash. So yeah. Like part of that, or a large part, of that's going to be Flash Gordon. But another part is going to be because it was Savage Worlds, and Savage Worlds suits that pulpy style of game. So, like that, that's just a marriage made in heaven, right there. 
Mm. So I think for a certain class of gamer, for the action adventure, the Indiana Jones, that kind of stuff, as I've always said, like that's what Savage Worlds really does best. Although mm. you can do other things, I think there's definitely a, a market there, and it's because you can use it with other games. It's a proper toolkit system, one of those generic systems. Like some people would say, GURPS is, but I find that you know really crunchy and a lot of hard work to translate other things for. Mm-hmm. Whereas Savage is that easy, and you just get on with it. And arguably, the less you change, the better. Um, so yeah, I mean, I am a little bit surprised. It's it's more anticipated than Pathfinder is possibly. Although, as I say, I'm not sure what the changes to Pathfinder are going to be, if all that much. It's not going to be a, a D&D 4 to 5 sort of change. No. I wouldn't have thought. No. Uh, whereas th- this Savage World's, you know, first change in 15 years, or first major change, they've actually revamped some stuff. So That's a bloody good run for a very successful game, isn't it? A really good run. Yeah. 15 years. There's not, there's not many games that, that... I mean, normally after 15 years, a game has either died or it's in its fifth edition. These days, yeah, because you do you do turn around things reasonably quickly. When we looked at Changeling earlier, and we couldn't even tell which version of Changeling it was, because it must be number seven if you just add up all of the iterations. Yeah, yeah. fifteen years, Savage has had like you know the Shaken rule changed after a great deal of thinking, and <laughs> that's about it. Um, but they didn't, you know, they did a couple of um, new covers and stuff, didn't they? A little bit like Cthulhu was done back in the day. It was just changed, really, just freshen up the look rather than anything else. But, but what yeah. a rule set. Absolutely robust. Yeah, yeah. And I think, this I don't know whether there's a lost leader or not, but they were selling it for like $10 or 6 quid or something. Was That was your deluxe yeah. rule set in a little A5 yes. digest, which meant it was dead easy for people to get involved in. And I imagine yeah. a lot of people have got invested, as in they bought that little book quite cheap and then bought other stuff, and they all just like got invested mm-hmm. in the system now. Because the new Kickstarter had, I think the hardback was something like $50, and the shipping yeah. to the UK was twenty five dollars, so they've gone the other way now. And like you know, right? The main books like quite expensive, but equally as big and A four and hardback, and you know, looks super sexy. And the other thing I've noted on the Pinnacle website is they're changing how they're doing licenses. So some of their old licensees maintain their same deal. Uh, for new people, you can create stuff for Savage Worlds now and put it on Drive Through, and Drive or well, Drive Through on the other side are basically all the same one now, aren't they? But they'll yeah. take a bit of a cut. Uh, Pinnacle take ten percent, whatever it is, and then you keep sixty percent. I think it is, or something like that, or seventy percent, maybe. Okay. So I, I imagine there's another element of interest there that people are thinking: I want to publish my own game. I can use Savage Worlds rules and have an official sticker mm. on the front and sell it through that. Um, and there's just a ton of settings for it, which will all be backwards compatible as well. So when you're talking to people yeah. saying, "What should I get into?" Well, buy Savage Worlds, and then you can play all kinds of games, including science fiction or whatever else you think is popular right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, mate. Yeah, oh, what a great game Savage Worlds is. I've had so much fun playing Savage over the years. Um, and yeah, I know it will be reliable. And, and and you must, as a Savage Worlds fan, I'm sure this is true, every time somebody tries to do something a bit innovative and unique in a different setting, I'm, I know that you walk away from some of them thinking, I could have just Savaged that. Yeah. And it would have been, <laughs> it would have been fine. <laughs> Absolutely fine. Maybe you can do your Savage Blue Planet or Savage Slay properly. After all these years, <laughs> I have done a Savage Blue Planet in the past. Yeah, I know, I know. And various yeah. others. Yeah, <laughs> a shout out to some because we do we do mention that we like people to get in touch with us uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we got a nice comment on the uh, on the WordPress site uh, from episode four today. Someone was talking about Blue Planet. Today, yeah, yeah. Uh, Goodness, and you couldn't believe what we said about Blue Planet and had strong opinions. And I thought that's cool. 
but that was in June 2015. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have no idea what we said about Blue Planet then. Relativity's a bitch, and it? I mean, yeah, this I is what happens when you're phoning in from another solar system. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to go back and listen to it so I can answer the, the poor guy's question. <laughs> but but I will endeavour to do so over the coming weeks. But that that's good. It's, it's always good that we've got people out there who are willing to get in touch and let us know what they think as well. Cause that's hey, a, listen, cheers for listening. Thank you very much. All part of that community <laughs> thing you were talking about, isn't it? Yeah, I'll, I'll be really pleased to hear what you have to say about this episode in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out whether cyberpunk happened or not, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, cool stuff. And uh, yeah, thanks to uh, Matt and Andrew, our letters to patrons as well. We've got a couple of extra this month, sticking an extra couple of copper pieces in the in the tin. So thanks to everybody's support, actually. I, I mentioned at Grab Meet, we've got loads there, but all the conventions, people have come up and said hello to us and thanked us for the podcast or giving opinions on stuff and came and attended our seminar in Dragon Meet when we made our glorious return against the good friends of Jackson Elias. Um, so if you can drop <laughs> if you can drop anything in the patron jar, if you can just tell us what you think of the cast or give us any opinions or thoughts or questions, or even just like maybe nip on iTunes and give us a, a vote on there or a bit of a rating or some stars, that'd be really cool as well. And as we've mentioned Morris, I think I should bring up as well that we've been nominated for Best Podcast of 2018, uh, along with a 100 other people, I hasten to add. But we're there all the same, so you have to scroll <laughs> down the bottom because we've become the W. But that'll be open for voting at some point, so I'd like to encourage all our faithful listeners to jump on there as well and give us a vote, just so we're not shamed by having no votes at all come the end of the poll. Yeah, definitely. Prove to me that we've got a community by reaching out and making touch. Uh, listen, thanks ever so much to those patrons. You know, thanks to the guys who've joined this month. We're really, really grateful. It was so lovely to shake hands with people and put names to faces at Dragon Me. Uh, that was great, and um, loved doing that. Um, yeah, drop us a line. We're pretty easy to find these days. Even when G plus blows up and Gaz kills a few more forums, there'll still be ways to contact us. We're, we're pretty contactable. Um, and anyone who came along to the Dragon Meat seminar, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, kind of apologies in reverse for having such a clickbaity title. <laughs> I know it's annoyed some people. It wasn't our idea, honestly. It was. <laughs> and they changed the and, question um, last minute didn't they <laughs> yeah I know I know I know I know. but we just had fun just having a bit of banter and that's that's all it is and we were just having a muck about up on stage and we we, we had a really good time and, and I know uh, that, that that session went out didn't it so the audio for that is live and if you couldn't attend the Dragon Meat seminar it's there for you to listen to and I, and I hope you enjoy it and um, um, and what I've liked is that some people have come back and said, oh, do you know what? That was quite a thoughtful discussion you had there. I didn't think we were going to get that with that title. Yeah. So, yeah, it's worth a listen. Scroll back, see what you think. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's right. As Baz always says, we are quite approachable. Uh, and to, to reference back to something we mentioned earlier, like on the internet sometimes people can seem a bit frosty and there has been a bit of orgy-bargy through various groups and stuff like that, but we're not like that. We're actually quite no, nice. We're nice. So just come and, and chat. Smart with. posse, are lovely people. Amazing so, group. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cheers, smart posse. And um, listen, if we don't speak to you before, or you're listening to this at a weird sort of time, have a great Christmas and a great New Year. You know, hopefully, um, Santa brings you some some stuff that isn't just a PDF from a bundle of holding that you'll never read, <laughs> and uh, you've got something with a nice uh, plush leather cover and maybe some bookmarks in it. And um, over the festive season, why not start up a new gaming group and um, and go into January thinking about this massive campaign you're going to run? Because that's what we do every year, right? 
<laughs> That's it, yeah. I can't wait for Christmas Day and my Twitter and Facebook feed to be filled with pictures of gaming books and, and new dice and other things <laughs> that people have got as they flock to uh, avoid the family and get online to chat about games some more with people who understand what they mean. I'm getting pictures of cardboard boxes these days and plastic bags. People are, people are sending <laughs> me a picture weird. before they've even opened it. What, what's, what's in here? <laughs> yeah, that is quite strange. <laughs> okay, well, we're about time. So thanks again, dear listeners, for listening, the patrons for patroning, uh, and anyone else who comes to chat to us or just gets involved in somewhere with a bit of discussion or anything else. It's been a very good year. We'll see you in the next one. Bye for now.